My message this morning is for Christians. So if you're an unbeliever here, you can just play with your iPad or iPhone or something. Because this message is not for you. In fact, this message is for good Christians. So if you're a lousy Christian, you can just play with your iPhone or whatever. Because it's not for you either, really. It's for good Christians. What we used to call Sunday night Christians. It's for people who are on the way. It's for people who have been saved. And they're on the journey. It's not for people who are unbelievers. It's not be for Christians who uh, are just up and down and can't grab a hold of this thing and you're just sinning every day in word, thought, and deed and in your arrangement with God as you sin, he forgives and that's the arrangement you have. It's not for you. It's for good Christians. Good Christians. And I'll start this morning with a story about me when I was uh, 12. I, I was petrified of water. Uh, I uh, wouldn't, and I tried to find, I went to my mom's this weekend and I forgot, I probably could have got it there. Tried to find a picture of me when I was about eight and grandparents took us to Florida and I was petrified of water and I was in the baby pool at eight years of age and, and my brother at six was showing everybody how he can stick his head underwater and, and the picture has him with his head in the water and I may have gotten the tip of my nose in the water. I would just, I wouldn't stick my head in the water, I was just petrified of water. And so this was, you know, went all the way through eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And, you know, then I started uh, having these hormones that started uh, raging a little bit and I realized that it's, it's probably not gonna be able to hang out at Southland Pool in Lexington, Kentucky with all the good looking girls if um, it's not too cool not knowing how to swim. Because all the cool people hung out in the deep end by the diving boards, and I didn't want anything to do with that. So I finally gave in to my dad, and, and he gave me swimming lessons. And um, it was nothing more than, than not wanting to be embarrassed in front of females. And, and so, uh, so John Ferrese gave me swimming lessons. I remember dad paid him uh, $20 for five swimming lessons. This would have been 19... Um, 69 or 70. And so uh, I can remember, obviously, petrified of water. We did nothing the first uh, lesson other than to, to try to get me to bob my head up and down underwater. That was a huge major accomplishment, and I did that. I would never have done it for anyone else cause, or like my mom or dad because I would just say, no, I ain't doing it. But, you know, I wasn't going to be, this was, this was like a 22-year-old, and it would be pretty uncool for for a 12-year-old who's trying to impress a 22-year-old cool guy to say, no, I won't do that. So I did it for him. And uh, that's, that's basically all we did the first lesson was to try to get myself comfortable with water. And I went home and I threw up because it was such a <clears throat> gut-wrenching thing for me because I was fearful of water. Well, those lessons went on and... and and uh, once I overcame my fear of water and could stick my head under without thinking I was going to die, uh, I mean, I just took off. I mean, that's, that's all there is to swimming. I mean, it's not hard as long as you break that fear of water. And, and so, uh, you know, pretty soon I was treading water and floating on my front and back and, and uh, teaching me some 
elementary strokes and all of that. So we came to our last day. My dad was just absolutely amazed by my progress and all of that. And so we came to our last day, and uh, he, had t- he, had, he had showed me uh, a little, on the second to last day, he had showed me a little bit about diving, and he was a good instructor. So he started with me just sitting down on the side of the pool and going like this, and I was okay with that. But then the last day came, and he took me down into the deep end. And he said, now we're going to, to dive in. And uh, we're just going to put your head uh, between your arms, and you're just going to fall forward. That's all I want you to do. I've been trying to teach Levi that, but this is what it looks like when Levi does it. So, um, so here I was, you know, getting ready to dive into the, the six foot, which was over my head. And, and uh, basically, um, I said no. I just, I just, you know, I'm okay with treading water. I'm okay with floating. I'm okay with, uh, I mean, I can jump in now and know I'm not going to die and come back up to the top. Uh, I can fake it in the water now with the girls and all this kind of stuff. And, and so, I, I, but, I, but this head over heels stuff, um, um, no. And so, and he, being a good instructor, did not force me, unlike me with Levi. But, um... <laughs> I said, no, that's enough. That's enough. I'll, I'll tread water, I'll float, I'll, I'll do some elementary strokes. Um, that's it. I'm not going to drown now. That's, that was the goal of this whole thing, okay? I'm not going to drown. I, I can get in there and splash around. It's okay. None of this head over heel stuff. And about... Three or four months later, uh, my, my, my cousin had lost both of her legs in a car accident, and they had put in a pool at her house as part of her insurance settlement uh, to help her therapy. And so I went to that pool by myself one day, as I do most things in my life that are hard for me, I get by myself to do them. And so by myself, I finally accomplished and got over that fear. And I wondered what I was fearful of to begin with, and that opened up a whole new vista of water play for me, the fact that I could be able to dive in and, and do all kinds of stuff. You see, I was, I was con- content at first just to tread water and jump in and come up and, and float and, and, and just not drown. I was, I was content that I, I wasn't going to drown. My parents were just happy I wasn't going to drown. Okay, I couldn't drown. But there was so much more to swimming than not drowning. And I had to realize that. And I said this to the professor, no more, uh, to the teacher, no more. But then finally submitted myself to the water fund that's, that's out there if you'll just let yourself go head over heels. <clears throat> I wonder if there are Christians like that. Oh, they're not going to go to hell. They're not going to drown. <clears throat> they have a level of belief. Uh, they're treading water, keeping their head above water. They're floating, you know. They've learned some elementary strokes. But as far as the deep things of the faith, 
they will not let God go there. They will not go there. Out of fear, out of the unknown, out of something. They're doing a pretty good job not drowning. But put the brakes on God when it comes to the deeper things of the Christian life. The Cephalonians may have been something like that. The book of 1 Cephalonians is a book that the apostle writes to the church that met, that met at Cephalonica. If you have your Bible, would you open it to 1 Cephalonians? And I have a lot of scriptures that I want to read to you here. And... Mark's going to follow through with me. First Thessalonians is right after Colossians, right before Second Thessalonians. It's easy to miss because there's only uh, five chapters of it. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. You'll find it in there somewhere. And First Thessalonians, we learn what that these are good Christians. Paul's writing to because he's complimenting them in their faith unlike he compliments any other church that he writes a letter to. He's complimenting them. And let me share a little bit of that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor produced by love, verse 3, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember that, that you have uh, work that's produced by faith, you have labor that's produced by love, and you have endurance inspired by the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we thank God for your labor and your, your hope and your endurance. Chapter 1, verse 6. And seven. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. We don't really know what that was. In spite of severe suffering, Paul says, you were living out the Christian life and you became imitators of us. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, chapter 1. And so you became a model. These Cephalonians... They're models for other Christians in Macedonia and Achaia. You, you good Christians, you, you, you good Xenia Nazarene Christians, you're, you're, you're models for the believers in, in, in Bellbrook and Centerville. That would be the same thing. Paul would come here and say, you're models for the believers in Beaver Creek and, and, and Cedarville and Centerville. It's the same exact thing. Chapter 2. Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as merely the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You accepted this not as just some traveling evangelist coming to speak to you. You accepted it as it truly is, uh, the word of God. Chapter 3, verse 6 and following. 
chapter 3, verse 6 and following. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Verse 7, chapter 3. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. We, I have been persecuted. I have been under duress. But you, your faith, your Christian faith, has encouraged me to hang in there. He's saying these people are super-duper saints. He's saying these people are really encouraging. He's not getting on these people like he got on the Corinthians. He's not getting on these people like he got on the Galatians. He's saying, man, you're doing a whale of a job. Verse 8, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? I'm making a case. These are good Christians. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Oh, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, but you're already doing it. You're already pleasing God. Chapter 4, verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. I don't need to teach you about brotherly love. You're already doing that. You already know that. Verse 10, chapter 4. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. All right. I've made my case. These are good Christians. These are Sunday night Christians. These are prayer meeting Christians. These are Wednesday night Christians. These are, these are board members. These are salt of the earth. This is the leadership of the church. These are Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, the, the people without which the church would not exist. These are no nominal believers. These are, these are no Sunday morning pew sitters. These are no... I got to tell you this. And I hesitate to say this because this person could be in here for all I know, but she needs to hear it, if she is. We had an email from a person this week who wants to be baptized. None of us recognize that name. And she, she says she comes to our church when she feels the need. She said basically on Christmas and Easter. This message is not for her. This message is not for her. And if you happen to be here this morning, I'm sorry if that offended you. This message is not for Christmas and Easter Christians. This message is not for people who come to church when they feel the need. These are not the Thessalonians that Paul is addressing. But even though he pats them on the back, even though he pats him on the back, chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Verse 12. 
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless in the presence of God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Seems to think these people, like they're doing a good job. There's, there's more ground for them to take. In fact, chapter 4, verse 1 that I didn't read to you at the very end of verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. In fact, as you are living, now we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, who rejects this instructions does not reject man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. It's to good Sunday night Christians. He says God calls you to be holy. It's for people who is, he is encouraged about in the faith that God calls to be holy and not to live an impure life. And let your love increase more and more. Chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you be sanctified. To these good Christians, he says, be sanctified. To these good Sunday night Christians, to these tithing Christians, to these Sunday school teachers, to the salt of the earth, to the people who keep the church together, the people who encourage us with their faith, he says, it is God's will that you would be sanctified. And then in chapter 5, verse 23, to these people, to these people, he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Older translations say, may God, the God of peace, sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Some translations say, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. Fascinating. The call to the holy life is not for the, 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 the person that's uh, in and out of church. It's not for the C&E Christian. It's not for the person who comes to, uh, feel, comes to church when they feel the need to come to church. It's not for the person who just occupies a few on Sunday morning and doesn't have anything else to do with the church. It's for good Christians that Paul is encouraged about their faith. They've, they've put up and they've, they've, they've persevered under some kind of suffering, which we don't know what it is. It's to good Christians that Paul says, you be sanctified holy. You be sanctified through and through. God has called you, good Christians, to live a holy life. It is God's will for you, good Christian, that you be sanctified. What does it mean when God calls us to a holy life? All you women need to go out and put your hair up in buns, okay? Take your makeup off. Get tape measure out and make sure that, you know, dress is not too high up. All you guys, you know, that wear a white shirt, used, it used to be that way. 
The call to holiness was, I don't do this, and I don't go there, and I don't say that, and we don't, we don't, we don't. We're proud that we don't. We don't, we don't, we don't. And there are don'ts. But the call to live a holy life is basically saying one big yes to God. Allowing God to invade the deepest recesses of who you are. So when he comes to you and say, okay, child, it's time to go. You say, I've already said yes to you. Here we go. What does it mean to be sanctified? The word literally means set apart. You're set apart. We did a sermon series X amount of months ago on you have to be different to be a Christian. You have to be weird to be a Christian. At least weird in the world's eyes. Not patting myself on the back, and I know some of you will take it wrong, but I don't mean it this way, and Sue hates it when I use this illustration, but the amount of money that we put in the offering plate this morning to 99% of the people in the world is weird. It's odd. It makes no sense. But people who have dived in live by faith, not by sight. By people who have dived in, even if they can't figure it all out in their mind, they obey. They believe. They talk, take God at his word. It's people who are set apart. You have, to be, you have to be different to make a difference in this world, and that's what we talked about several months ago. It's not all the things that you use. I don't play cards, and I don't do that, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. It's just you're different. Your mindset is different. And why are you different? Why are you different? Because God's going to send me to hell if I'm not different. No, you're different so you can make a difference in this world. You're different because he's called you to be salt and light. You're different because he's called you to something deeper as a Christian good Christian it's God's will for you to be sanctified and isn't it interesting that in chapter 4 verse 3 when he, where he says that you know everybody wants to know God's will what's God's will for me do I go to this school or do I go to this school do I work here or do I go there what is God's will for me well I'm just absolutely sweating it out over what God's will for me well I can tell you what God's will for you is. it's right here at least part of what God's will for you is. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to anybody lay hands on you. You don't have to have a pastor to pray a special prayer for you. You don't have to buy books and figure out God's will for you. You don't have to go to Christian college. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. Just read the Bible. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And isn't it in, in the context that the Holy Spirit prompts the apostle as he's writing this, as soon as he says sanctified, he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's the first thing that came to his mind in this whole area of setting apart. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. 
Are you a good Christian? If you are, you're, you're among the people that he says live a holy life. God's will for you to be sanctified. Verse 23, chapter 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Some of you remember sanctify holy, W-H-O-L-Y. Some of you remember sanctify entirely. We have a teaching in our church of entire sanctification. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all get all freaked out. You know, we, we, just, we just get all freaked out on the parts and we miss the whole. Everybody said, well, what's spirit, soul, and body? What part is the spirit and what part's the soul? And I mean, how do you understand? I don't know. I have no clue. And I don't give a rip. He just says, man, lock, stock, and barrel, man. Lock, stock, and barrel. Spirit, soul, and body. Be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And don't miss verse 24. And the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Oh, I'm going to try really hard if I'm going to be sanctified. I'm going to be more holy than you. I'm going to get here way before you and pray. Oh, nobody's going to outwork me. I'm going to show God how much I'm sanctified. And he who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. It's a holy life. It's a sanctified life. It's a dependent life. There is no holiness. There is no sanctification without the indwelling Holy Spirit living and reigning and saving from sin. It's not something I do. It's something he does for me. And of course that doesn't absolve me from, from any responsibility, but it's allowing God to do it allowing God to source us like Dr. Manley talked about so much. I was on Amazon.com early this morning looking for some books, and I saw a book that I've never, it's, it's, I've never seen before. And I really like the title. It may be an awful book, but I really like the title. It says, Stop Acting Like a Christian and Be One. That's what we're talking about. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Oh, you Nazarenes. Just holy rollers. You think you're perfect people. Y'all don't think you sin anymore. And so that's what some of the body of Christ says on our interpretation of the teaching in the Bible that says for us to go on to perfection, to go on to maturity, and especially this passage here that calls us to be sanctified entirely, and he who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Oh, you Nazarenes, 
You got your little bit of doctrine here, and you got your little hobby horse, and y'all just ride that hobby horse, and that's, that's... And, and at times we've been ridiculed as a church because of this. And anytime, anytime, anytime you enter into any, any, anytime you enter into, I'm embarrassed to say this, anytime you enter into any Facebook discussion over anyone that talks about, you know, anything like this, they'll accuse you of, well, aren't you high and holy? Everybody says, well, don't we just sin every day in word, thought, and deed? You know what I say when somebody says that? I said, tell me how you sin today. And they can't tell me. But they've heard it all along, all, that they, you sin every day in word, thought, and deed. So I said, well, how have you sinned today? Friends, hear me. There is victory for the Christian who keeps in step with the Spirit of God. There is victory over sin for the Christian who leads the dependent life. There is victory over sin for the Christian who wants all that God has for them. Does that mean you can't sin anymore? No, 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 no. Because anytime you can walk out of the will of God, anytime you can walk out of the will of God, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw says, you know, we're to be filled with the Spirit, but he said it's, it's been his observation in his own life and his observation as he looks at Christians that while we're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we can, that we're leaky vessels. So people just, just ridicule us. And so when they ridicule you, you need to stand pretty firm on, on 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 7. It says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Listen, verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. You who reject this instruction do not reject the church of the Nazarene. You reject God who gives us his Holy Spirit. It's a dependent life. Why has the Holy Spirit been given? So you can get little goosebumps when they sing your favorite song? So my call this morning is to good Christians. My call is not to people that were out committing adultery last night to come and Ask God to forgive your backslide. My call is to first Thessalonian type of Christians. To be sanctified. To be entirely sanctified. To holiness. And he who rejects this teaching does not reject man does not reject the church of the Nazarene but rejects God who gives us his Holy Spirit oh what's going to happen to me what's going to happen to me when I dive in I don't really know he may send me to Africa
One thing is, you won't become a weirdo. I mean, you know, if, if, you, if you like the Buckeyes before you're sanctified, you're going to like them afterwards. If you like uh, chocolate before you got sanctified, you're going to like it after. I mean, it's, it's just that your life is just encompassed by God. And things like praying without ceasing become natural. Because it's just God. So anybody this morning? Head over heels? Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song talking about this. Oh, he didn't call it holiness. He didn't call Probably the first time in the history of church in Nazarene that's been, that song has been sung as an altar call. <laughs> but that's our altar call. No other music. The song said, You may never know the awesome power of the grace of God. Can we stand together? In the quietness of this moment, with your heads bowed, please. No music. No music. Is there anyone that wants to come to this altar and talk to the Father about diving in? Letting go. Letting him do a work in your life that you cannot do yourself. These altars open. You'll be the first to come. God's word says, if we reject this teaching, we do not reject man. We do not reject the denomination. We reject God who gives us his Holy Spirit. What are you supposed to say when you come kneel at the altar? Um, I don't really know. God hears your heart. Talk to him. Let him know what's in your heart, the desire of your heart. We have two precious souls at the altar. But there's, 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 there's a few more people whose your heart is beating real fast right now. You know you need to go. Would you be obedient to the Holy Spirit? Will you not quench the Holy Spirit right now? Who will be the next one to come? Who'll be the next good Christian? There are three good Christians at this altar right now. Who'll be the next good Christian to dive in? Head over heels. Head over heels. Letting go. God, I do not know what you have for me, but I know it's good.
five good Christians that want all God has for them. Who else? Who else? may have a friend that's praying you want to come and give some support don't need to talk to them don't need to ask them questions you just may want to kneel beside them feel free to do that Father God we've talked about the meat of your word this morning we've talked about what this thing is all about Father, you tell us in the book of Hebrews to to leave the elementary truths of the faith and go on to maturity. Not not laying again a foundation of repentance to sinful acts and teachings about baptism and judgment. Father, you told us those are elementary things. But you want us to bite into this thing. And so, Father, I pray for these people around the altar that they will just head over heels, whatever that means for them. Let you do a work in them that they cannot do themselves. Now, Father, I pray for the people who really wanted to come, but for whatever reason they didn't. Didn't know what their friend would think or their wife or their husband maybe they've been to church all their lives and everybody all automatically thinks they already have it and they've been really covering it up all their life I pray for those type of people and I pray that you would be the hound of heaven and in your mercy and grace would stay after those folks until they surrender and go head over heels for you. Father, bless these people who are praying. Grant them the desires of their heart. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you leave very quietly and respectfully, please?